chapter 3. Lord willing, we are going to work through the second part of verse 22, where we left off, through verse 26. So 22 through 26 today. Let's pray together before we jump into the text. I'll read after praying. You can follow along silently, and then we'll work through it verse by verse. And Lord willing, he will teach us and show us his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess this morning that we're a needy people who need to hear from you. Lord, we look around at the world and we know that our answers cannot be found out there. And even though in our flesh from time to time, Lord, we we go there trying to look for answers to our deepest questions. But Lord, we confess together as we've come together to hear from you that our greatest need is to hear from you. I thank you for everybody that's here this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in a mighty way in our hearts and our minds today. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. I pray for those who may be here, Lord, who who do not know you. I pray that they would come to know you, that you would, by your grace, save them as they cry out to you today. For those who are here, Lord, who who love you and they're followers of yours, Lord, I pray that we would look into the gospel today together and be amazed. Lord, give me grace as I preach your word. Help us now, help me now, in Jesus' name, amen. Me. Set the tone again for you quickly. The letter to the church at Rome, the Apostle Paul had not been to Rome yet. He hoped to visit. He hoped to mutually be encouraged, to encourage them and to be encouraged by their faith. He hoped to visit with them, preach the gospel to them. He hoped that they would fund his journey to go to Spain so he could preach the gospel where Christ had not been named yet. Like we're hoping that happens with these boxes. Because our God is worthy to be known and worshipped all around this world. Amen? Amen. Last week we had a, a good time, I think, working through the text where the Spirit led the Apostle Paul to explain to us Every single one of us, that none of us are righteous. No, not one of us on our own. No one does good work. Nobody seeks after God. What comes out of our mouth are curses and bitterness, and there is just destruction in our paths. And we all said, ouch. And then the Lord said, but I'm doing something different. But now, in verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And it was 
encouraging to hear what our God has done, knowing the state that we were in, that he would send his son for us. But Paul's been clear throughout these chapters that all have sinned, all need redemption, need salvation. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter if you have the Old Testament scriptures or if you have your full Bible. It doesn't matter if you've been circumcised on the outside. It doesn't matter if you're a member of a church or baptized. Apart from the righteousness of Christ, you are hopeless. But God works by His Spirit in a miraculous way to circumcise our hearts for those who trust in Him. So we're going to read through the text, and then work through it and see. And and let me just say to you up front, I just want you to be blown away by the gospel. I just want you to see in this text with a whole bunch of big words that we're going to try to define. And don't immediately shut off your brains just because there's some big words in here. They're Bible words. That means they're good words. We love them, and they explain more and more to us. But I want you to see, fall in love, rejoice over the gospel this morning. That's my hope for you this morning. So continuing on in 22, Romans chapter 3. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is where we left off. Now, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We just covered... In verse 22, that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who who would believe. And then Paul says, for there is no distinction, no distinction at all. Doesn't matter, Jew, Gentile, male, female, doesn't matter your ethnicity. There is no no distinction. Verse 23 makes it clear for all. You've been getting a lot of Greek lessons in that word recently. What does all mean? Good. You guys are good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. On your notes, if you grabbed some notes this morning, I start off with a question that we're going to try to answer as you work through the text. Here's the question that I'm hoping we're going to answer today. How can a holy, righteous, and perfect God allow unholy, unrighteous, and, in, and imperfect sinners into his presence and still be considered just? Let me read it again. How can a holy, righteous, and perfect God allow unholy, unrighteous, and imperfect sinners into his presence and still be just? Okay, so I'm hoping we're going to answer that question, but there are some terms, some big words that we're going to run into, and so I 
have tried on your notes here, let me read through some of these terms, and it's to help you, hopefully, at least have some framework as we work through the text and you see these words pop up. These may not be the official terms that maybe you'd read word for word in some dictionaries or theological uh, books, but here's what I want you to see. Glory. Glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's God's holiness, his righteousness, his greatness, his power, his majesty, all kinds of other things on display. It's going to be the glory of God. It's on display. So who God is on display. Grace. That's his unmerited favor. Something good that you do not deserve and you did not work for. Redemption. That word redemption. It can be used a couple of different ways, but a buying back or a making free. Released from the penalty or wrath and the curse of sin. That's going to be redemption as we work through the text. Propitiation. The taking of the, the penalty or the wrath of God for sin, like a sacrificial atonement. Forbearance. This is kind of like hitting the pause button on, let's say, maybe some commentary in a story. Let's say a movie's going on and the commentary's happening. And you hit the pause button on the commentary, but the movie keeps going on. I want you to think like that when we work through the text justified, going to be a legal term we've talked about before, being made right with God, just before God, guilt taken away and righteousness given. And then justice is when the proper judgment or penalty is given in accordance with God's rules, laws, and standards. Okay, So you have those, hopefully you can refer back to them, but as we work through this text, this is a theologically rich text and these words are going to come up and I want you to have that framework as we work through it. For all have sinned, verse 23, and fall short of the glory of God. So glory of God, okay, this is God's holiness, righteousness, greatness, power, majesty on display for all to see. So what what does that mean? Well, that means God has a particular standard in his holiness, and every single one of us falls short of that. The Apostle Paul has made this clear throughout. We have, how many good works can we do apart from Jesus, apart from the Spirit? How many good works? None. God's standard, perfection, and you can do nothing on your own. Good. We all fall short of this standard that God has. But verse 24 continues, and are justified, made right before God, our guilt being taken away, the righteousness given by His grace as a gift. How many of you like to receive gifts? Show of hands. The rest of you are weird. (laughs) You know, usually if you don't like to receive gifts, truly, deep down there usually could be a pride issue going on there. Think about it. Some people who don't like to receive gifts or receive help from other people, a lot of times there's a a pride issue. They They should be able to do it on their own must be something i got to be able to do. And so when somebody gives you a gift, here's what you'll do sometimes. You feel like you have to give something back. You ever had that with somebody? Where you, you try to do something for them, and then they have to come, and it's like they're returning the favor? 
You ever think about why we do that stuff? Sometimes it's just, ah, it's nice to do that. But sometimes, deep down inside, we do not like receiving grace. Everything about our human nature and who we are, we do not like to receive grace especially when it comes to God, especially when it comes to our salvation. We want to have a part in it. It is one of the simplest things in the world to receive a gift. What do you have to do? You just receive it. And we will fight that. So much so that even after we're a believer, even as we accept the, the grace of God, the gift of God, we then switch to to think that somehow we got to keep working to save ourselves or to keep our salvation. We cannot rest in his grace very well because of our sinful nature. So it's great here, it's wonderful that the gospel says, that the Apostle Paul here says, that that justification, the fact that your guilt is taken away, and you are right before God, and that righteousness that comes from Christ, that that is simply a gift of grace, unmerited favor, you do not deserve it, and he gives it to you. And all you can do is say thank you and praise him forever. That's it. That's what you can do. We are justified by his grace, verse 24, as a gift. But how does he do it? What's he, what's he doing there? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption. You go back to your list here. This is a buying back or making free. Or I would argue in this context, released from, a, from the penalty or wrath of God and the curse of sin. This redemption, don't. Be mistaken, this is not the idea that God or Jesus in particular had to pay Satan for something. Yes, Jesus defeats Satan on the cross, no question. But realize that it is the wrath of God that is poured out on him. And so the redemption that we receive is being released from the, the penalty, the wrath of God. And the curse of sin. This was a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is not found anywhere else. Only in Christ Jesus. And now verse 25 he continues on. Whom God put forward. As a propitiation by his blood. Make no mistake. It is God who put Christ forward. And it was Christ who went forward willingly. This is not some angry dad who decides to beat up on his son. He was going to beat up on you, and so then he decides to beat up on Jesus instead. That's not how you need to view this. You need to understand that before the foundations of the world, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit enacted this plan to come and seek and save those who are lost to redeem a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then we see the Son take on human flesh and come, truly God and truly man, or fully God and fully man, come and live that perfect life of obedience that we should have lived, but we couldn't. But that wasn't a shock. Sometimes we think about like the Garden of Eden, talking with one of the brothers about this, and we were thinking about the Garden of Eden and how like, that might have been plan A. Like, God created Adam and Eve, and he was like, oh, I really hope this works. 
this is going to be great. There's a little bit of temptation there, but they're not going to sin, hopefully. Oh, no, they sinned. I didn't see that coming. So then it's, hey, Adam, where you at? Hey, guys, where you at? I need to talk with you like God doesn't know. And then it's, hmm, now what are we going to do? All right, well, I guess we'll go another route. I guess I'll send somebody who will come and redeem you. Does our God learn anything? Is he surprised by anything? No, it's been plan A. From the beginning, there's no plan B. It's always plan A. The father put forward the son. The son comes willingly. He lives the life we should have lived. He then goes to the cross and dies the death we should have died. But that word propitiation, go back to your notes, this taking the wrath of God as a sacrificial atonement for us, the Son, Jesus, does that willingly. How much love does God have for you that he would do this? How much love does Jesus have for you that he would do this? It is a great love that we sing about and we praise him for. But he goes and he receives the wrath of God, but he's a sacrifice. But listen carefully, he doesn't stay dead. Do you know why he doesn't stay dead? Because the sacrifice has been approved. It is a good sacrifice. It is the perfect sacrifice. So death could not hold him. And he defeats sin, Satan, and death. And he takes on the wrath of God. That's why it says in the text, whom God put forward and the son goes willingly as a propitiation by his blood. Of course, there are tons of thoughts that probably flood your mind of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, which again was pointing to that very moment. But look how it's to be received. To be received. What comes up again? By faith. You don't get to work for it. You don't get to work for it. But why would he do it like that? God, why is this your plan? Because no human would dream up this plan. Why do you do it? Oh, look what it says next. This was to show God's righteousness. His rightness. His holiness. Okay. How? Because, we're in verse 25. In his divine forbearance, okay, he had passed over former sins. That's why I said in here, again, a way that I want you to think on it is, let's say the movie's continuing on, but then the the dialogue that's happening, the audio that's happening, it's paused. Nothing's coming at that point, but the story's continuing on. The reason I want you to kind of look at it that way, it's not perfect, but I just want to look at it that way, is because here's what happens. We see in the Old Testament, of course, we see the sacrificial system happening. Could those sacrifices really take away their sins? They couldn't. There has to be a perfect sacrifice. Do you think that an animal's blood can take away or could take the place of a human's blood? No chance. No chance. Well, then it would need to be a human's blood. So we then need a perfect human. How many of those have you seen other than Jesus? Remember what the text says? All have sinned. There's nobody out there. So... What was the point of those sacrifices? Well, like we talked about it again, it was to point to the sacrifice to come. But picture it like this too. Those sacrifices, God hit the pause button, if you will, on his wrath coming. 
he hit the pause button and the story has continued to the time of the cross. And that wrath was being stored up. And then in the perfect moment, he pours it out, all of it on the son. The story continued, but in his divine, divine, godly forbearance, his patience, he waits and doesn't wipe out everybody. And he pours it out on Jesus. Okay, you tracking with me so far? Okay, so that's what he's saying here. The reason that God did it this way was that it would show his righteousness. The fact that he is just. Why couldn't God, think about this for a second. Why couldn't God just say, oh, you sinned? The heir is human. That happens. Don't worry about it. I forgive you for that. I'm not going to actually do anything. There'll be no punishment for it, but I just forgive you. That means we do not understand the holiness of God or justice. See, and and who God is, he must punish sin because of his holiness. We make light, especially in our own lives, of sin all the time. We've talked about this before, where we like to refer to him more as, I made a mistake, I messed up, or a whoopsie. And you know where we see this? We see this because we're not broken over it. We're not broken over our sin when we go to our God. And I'll tell you what else, we're not broken when we go to one another. When we sin against other people, we don't go with the brokenness understanding the way scripture speaks about sin the only way god can show his righteousness is he has to punish sin but he waited it doesn't mean he wasn't righteous but it actually shows his mercy as well See, in the cross, you're going to see something so remarkable. You see the justice of God, the righteousness of God, and you see the mercy of God. He passed over those former sins, verse 26, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. The remarkable aspect, or one of the remarkable aspects of the cross is that the way that God has done it, that he holds back his wrath and then pours it out, he still is just because he has punished sin. And at the same time, he shows his mercy and is the justifier of all those who would believe and have faith in Christ. God perfectly answers the question. What was the question we asked before we started? Listen. How can a holy and righteous and perfect God allow unholy, unrighteous, imperfect sinners into his presence and still be just? Here's the answer. He can't. He can't. He does not allow sinners into his presence. And so then you go, wait a minute. Instead, 
Listen to what your God does. He changes sinners into saints. Do you get it? He's not going to, he's going to make you new. He's going to change you. He has, if you've trusted in Christ, changed you to where you are not defined as sinner any longer. You are defined as saint. That's how he lets you in. And like Paul has argued before, if you're going to try to get in on your own works because you think you're special or you have a good personality or you help people, you have no shot. But if you will humbly cry out to God and say, I will accept that gift of grace, then you can be saved. So the two things I want you to take away as believers, if you're not a believer, I want you to cry out for salvation. The two things will end here. I want you to rest and rejoice. Say those with me. Rest and rejoice. God. Rest and rejoice. I want you to rejoice because you're a saint now and you are free from the curse of sin. You are free from the wrath of God and you are free to live a holy life following your God. I want you to rejoice. The second is I want you to rest in the person and work of the person and work of Jesus. You don't have to earn God's approval or his love. You already have it. Amen.